Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Please open to Psalm 115. And we're, we're just rolling through. And if probably the next time we get together, we'll be going through the longest chapter in the Bible. Psalm 119. We won't get there tonight. We won't get there. What's that? But here we see uh, continued praise. And in Psalm 115, an exhortation for us as believers to praise the Lord. And we just got through praising the Lord in worship. And, um, and there are so many other ways to praise Him also. But we are always exhorted in the Scriptures to praise God. And we're exhorted to praise Him regardless of our circumstances. And I think that's the one thing that we always need to keep um, in the forefront of our minds, that our praise of our Heavenly Father does not change according to what we're going through or the circumstances in our life. And to, to do anything else other than just praise Him all the time, we'll see the psalmist here says it kind of presents an opportunity for others to dishonor God because they see us change in the way we relate to God depending on our circumstances. And it kind of presents an opportunity for them to, to, to wonder, you know, why are you so unstable in your relationship with God? I thought He was your rock. I thought He was your, your strong tower. You know, so it gives opportunity. For us, we need to remember that no matter what we're going through, we need to continue to praise the Lord. We can't allow the difficulties in our life or the trials that we're going through to sort of cloud our attitude or, or color our demeanor. You know, because then others may ask, well, where is your God? And we see the psalmist is going to take us through that here. Our personal testimony regarding God needs to be that no matter what, we trust in Him. No matter what's going on in our life, we trust in God. When difficulty or trial come into our life, that we're not to lose heart in the midst of those trials. Now, in the previous psalm, the psalmist was exalting God for His past miracles and wonders. And this psalm is, continues in that same line of thinking. And Really, the psalmist is pleading with God to vindicate himself through the working in the lives of his people. And God can do that. God will vindicate himself through your life and through my life if we're in his will and doing, uh, d doing his works here. So, jumping into verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 115, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory. Because of your mercy, because of your truth, why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? So the psalmist here, right, right away, praying for God to sort of defend his own honor, 
before the unbelieving world. You know, not for our sakes, but for his sake, for his name. And he's also distinguishing here between God removing a trial for the sake of the psalmist or to make application for our sakes and the difference between that or doing it for his own reputation so that his reputation is not blasphemed. Our desire for God to deliver us, even to deliver us from difficulty, should not be for selfish reasons. It should be that that God's name is honored because of it. And then we see two attributes of God revealing his glory. Uh, His mercy. His mercy reveals God's desire for all men to be saved. And his truth. His truth reveals God's desire for all men to know him and to know him in a personal and intimate way. Just uh, two quick references regarding that. In Psalm 119, verse 160, it says, The entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. So we see that God's truth is is in his word, is in the scriptures. In John 17, 17, Jesus says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So we see that the truth of God rests in in the Scriptures. Then in verses 3 through 8, But our God is in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. So here the psalmist contrasts the one true God, Yahweh, with all of the false gods of the the heathen nations. Verses 3 And four say the one true God inhabits the heavens and he can do all things. The false gods, on the other hand, are creations of man and therefore they're powerless and inadequate to do anything. Verse five, the mouth represents the ability to communicate. Unlike the false gods, the one true God communicates with us through prayer. The eyes represent the ability to see or to know. Yahweh, the one true God, sees and knows everything. We don't ever have to be concerned that He doesn't know what we're going through or that anything may get past Him. He sees and knows all things. The ears represent the ability of God to hear our prayers. And He does. He hears us and He answers us in His perfect timing and according to His perfect will. The hands of the one, think about it, the hands of the one who forms the false gods um, actually surpass the gods themselves. Think about that. If you had to form your own god, wouldn't you be greater than that god, than that false god? Imagine our god being beneath us in anything. Why would we worship him? You know, and anything less than we are, we shouldn't worship. And then in verse 8, people become like the gods they make. They make inadequate, 
powerless, weak, and feeble. If those are your gods, that's what you become. We're made in the image of the omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God, all-powerful God. It says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's our God. And then in verses 9 through 15, it says, O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has been mindful of us, and he will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great. May the Lord give you increase more and more, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. So here we see three times the psalmist repeats the fact that God is our help and our shield. Our help and our shield. He speaks it first for the people in general. He says, O Israel, the Lord is your help and your shield. When God's hand is upon us, we can trust that he's got our best interest at heart. And then for those who serve and lead in the the church, the house of Aaron, we need to be continually trusting in the Lord, continually in prayer for God's direction. And sometimes we don't even see what he's doing behind the scenes to orchestrate his plan and his purpose here on earth. And then thirdly, for anyone who has a reverence for God, always remember that he's our protector and our provider. And then he prays for God to bless his people. And it doesn't matter what status we have in society. God can and he does bless bless us. And then for gracious increase, not necessarily material things, but in love and in power and in the knowledge of him and in holiness, we pray for God to give us increase in those things. Those are much more valuable than anything in this world. Then in 16 through 18, says the heavens, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore praise the Lord. So we see here in these verses, and we've seen it before in the Psalms and throughout some parts of the Old Testament, where the Old Testament saints had sort of a limited understanding of the afterlife. And the psalmist here may be saying that worship ceases at our, at our demise. Um, or he may be saying that those who go down to silence as he says there in verse 17, represent those unbelievers who will not be praising God in the the afterlife. But we know that the scriptures tell us that we, we will praise him for all eternity. And so what an awesome thing that that to know that our praise here is just sort of um, practice for all of eternity when we will be praising the Lord. So another praise psalm here. Uh, Psalm 116 is also a praise psalm. It's actually a Passover praise psalm. 
And the psalmist here is reiterating his worship to God because of his mighty works in delivering his people out of slavery. And for us, anytime God delivers us from a trial or, or a difficulty, it certainly is reason to praise him. Um, we divide this psalm into three parts. Verses 1 through 8, uh, we see God, uh, us going to God in prayer and a prayer of thanksgiving for all that he's done in the past. And we'll, we'll jump in there in verses 1 through 8. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications, because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call upon him as long as I live. The pains of death surround me and the pangs of Sheol lay hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. What gracious thanksgiving this psalmist has for what the Lord has done in his life. You know, just praising him, thanking him, you know, for bringing him through. And for us, we love God because he hears us and he answers our prayers. And this sort of causes us to trust him even more. And then it's, it becomes that continual line of communication with the Lord. In verse 3, the psalmist is describing the situation that he was in when he sought the Lord. He says there, the pains of death surround me and the pangs of Sheol lay hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. And he found relief, the psalmist found relief only in God. In deliverance, grace, mercy, and preservation. And then rest, rest for his soul. All things that we seek the Lord for and, he's, and he, he desires to give us. And I, I love, most of all, I love the rest. Just rest for my soul. Lord, we thank him for that. Verses 9 through 13, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits towards me? I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. So we see here we praise God for his greatest gift to us, salvation. And that's really the reason why we give him so much worship and praise. And we also walk among men in the way, or we should, in a way that brings a testimony to others of what God is doing in our life. By our walk, people should know that we have a relationship with God. But I, I, I like the transparency here of the psalmist, too. He kind of confesses here that he hasn't always done that. He confessed his sin, that his speech was influenced by his affliction. And I think for us, it's sort of a lesson to us that we need to be careful that when we're going through a difficult time, when we're going through a trial, not to let it influence our, our actions. 
that might bring dishonor upon God. And sometimes we react inappropriately towards others because of something that we're going through. And listen, we all have bad days, right? But I think the, the message here in these verses is, is to uh, just to be careful. You know, he's, the psalmist says here in verse 11, I said in my haste, all men are liars. So you could see there that he was being influenced by his circumstances and he sort of just blurted something out, you know, that really wasn't appropriate. I love what James says about this and kind of gives us good perspective on our speech toward one another. James 3, 8 through 10 says, But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things, these things ought not to be so. So, just reiteration there from James about this same thing that the psalmist recognizes, that he, he's, he's, uh, he's having difficulty in, and that we have sometimes too. There's something to think about there. Verses 14 through 19, I will pay my vows to the Lord. Now in the presence of all his people, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord, now in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. So we see how many times the psalmist here is praising God. That's why these, this collection is, is a collection of praise psalms. And what is our response? What is our response for all that God has done for us? It shows in those verses that our response to what God has done for us is to serve others. That's our best way really, of, of responding to what God has done in our life. Making a vow to allow, allow God's grace to sort of overflow from us onto others. And we worship God when we serve. We bless one another when we serve. And it should be our natural response to what God's done in our life. It says in Romans 12.1, I, Paul writes, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So for us, it should sort of, as Christians, that should come natural. Our response to God for everything that he's done in our life because of the mercies of God is to serve others. Present ourselves to serve others. And, uh, you know, it's a blessing to us, it's a blessing to others, and it glorifies God. So it doesn't get much better than that. Uh, Psalm 117, the, the shortest chapter in the Bible. Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud Him, all you peoples. For His merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endures forever. Forever, Praise the Lord. So 
The shortest chap chapter in the Bible sort of expresses the reason for the entirety of the Bible, and that is to praise the Lord for his mercy and his truth. Um, probably the next time we get together, we will study the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119. And you'll see what that does. It, it, I'll give you a little, a little hint, a little preview. It expounds on the beauty of God's word. It expounds on the beauty of God's word. So here in these little, two little verses, basically the entirety, the reason for the entirety of the scriptures, praise the Lord for his mercy and truth. Um, moving on to Psalm 118. Sort of 117 and 118 could be taken together. Um, they're separate, so we don't know if they're separate authors. But it basically continues with that praise of, of God. Psalm 118 is one of, really one of the pivotal praise psalms in the, in the Bible. Or hallelujah psalms, or hallel psalms. And that's given to a group of psalms from uh, 113 to 118 is called the Egyptian Hallel, praising God and uh, for, for the deliverance from Egypt. And this psalm, I, I was reading a commentary on these, this, sort of this group of psalms. It was chanted in the temple while the Passover lambs were being slain rejoicing over the deliverance from slavery in Egypt. It was also chanted on other festival occasions like Pentecost, the Feast of Tabernacles, and the Feast of Dedication. Um, it says here that the Levites standing before the altar chanted it verse by verse, and the people responded by repeating the verses. So uh, we see there that there was a, the worship leader would, would speak it or chant it or sing it first, and then the people would respond in repetition. Uh, it was also chanted in private family get-togethers during the Feast of Passover. And, um, and so we see, we see here that this group is really praise psalms. There's another group called the Great Hallel. Those are Psalms 119 to 136. So uh, we're starting to see a theme here as we get towards the closing of the Psalms. Praise, 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 praise the Lord. Um, we see this Psalm and compare it with the song that, we, that was recorded in the book of Ezra. And it says in Ezra 3, verses 10 and 11, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord. According to the ordinance of David, king of Israel, they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever toward Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Was, was laid. So we see here just corporate praise and excited praise for what the, what the Lord was doing in restoring worship to Jerusalem. So, uh, an awesome thing. And we can respond in the same way. So many awesome things that God does in our life that we can be thankful for and praise Him. So, jumping in, in verses 1 through 4, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, 
for His mercy endures forever. Let Israel now say, His mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say, His mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord now say, His mercy endures forever. So we see a, uh, a theme running through these verses. His mercy endures forever. Our praise should be continual because His mercy is continual in our life. You know, we're the only ones of God's creation who have, who have the need of and benefit from His mercy. And since we're sinners and we can't save ourselves, we need God to be merciful to us. Amen? Mercy is not getting what we deserve. And it, because of our sin, we deserve death, but God gives mercy, loving kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Then in verses 5 through 14, the psalmist goes on, I called to the Lord in distress, and the Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire on those who hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me, yes, they surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me like bees. They were quenched like a fire of thorns. For in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. You pushed me violently that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. Wow, that is awesome. I love the back and forth we see here in, the, in, the, in this psalm. You know, it, it, it's better to trust the Lord than put confidence in man, to, than to put confidence in princes. And then, he, and then he goes on, the nations surrounded me, but the name, in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. I love that. Just over and over to see God's grace and mercy working in our lives. But the psalmist here is crying out to the Lord. He's crying out in his time of sorrow. It says in verse 5, I called on the Lord in distress. Calling on the Lord in distress usually is from a, just a place of desperation. When we're in distress, it can feel like we're on a narrow ledge, right? The Hebrew word for distress is metzar. It, its root in the Hebrew means a strait or a distress. Now we think about it, we, we hear um, in geography, a strait is a narrow body of water, like the Strait of Gibraltar. So it's it's something that means narrow in its root form. But it says there, God will put us on the wide place. It says, the Lord answered me in verse 5 and set me in a broad place. Not to feel like we're sort of on the edge, but God's going God's to set us in the wide place. That's a place of safety. That's a place of comfort. And that's, that's a reason to rejoice. Then verse 15 through, 17, uh, through 18 the psalmist goes on, The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. 
The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. So the psalmist here is going through this relationship with the Lord, you know, and, and sees that, that God's working in his life. And he's even grateful for those times when God has to chasten him, knowing that he's even shown him mercy there. He hasn't chastened him to, to, to death. He's chastened him for a reason, for a purpose. And, and the psalmist here is, is saying, saying I, still re, I still rejoice in the Lord. I still praise God, even those times that he's chastening me. Now, the right hand of the Lord here is mentioned in these verses. The right hand of the Lord is the hand of strength. The right hand of the Lord here is also making reference to the Messiah. It's, this is a messianic portion of this psalm. Jesus, who sits on the right hand of the Father in heaven. And he has been given all power and authority to subdue the enemies of God's people and to place us in a position of victory in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ. And we see there the right hand is, the, is a hand of, of, that upholds us of strength. Then in verses 19 through 21, Open me to the gates, open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them, and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you, for you have answered me and have become my salvation. So the psalmist here is sort of expressing his love for the house of God, his love for the gathering together of God's people. And I think we can have that same sense that, that what an awesome thing it is to be able to gather together and praise the Lord and learn about Him and lift each other up and exalt God in our presence. And so I, I love the fact also that he says, the righteous enter the house of the Lord. The righteous now, we're not righteous. We're really not righteous. But in God's eyes, for those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, His righteousness has been imputed to us. And so we see that He sees us as righteous. And the psalmist is expressing that. I love the, the fact that you know the, the psalmist here is just saying how awesome it is to come into the house of God and to praise Him and to gather together. Like he says in, in Psalm 84.10, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. So, being in the house of the Lord, being together with other believers, is just an awesome thing. Then, verses 22 and 23, here we continue to see the messianic nature of this psalm. It says, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And so we see here that this is definitely a messianic reference, and Jesus even made reference to this in the Gospels, talking about himself. He speaks in a parable 
regarding the rejection of the Messiah by the religious leaders of his time. And we can make application to today, too. How many times did God send people into your life to preach the gospel that you rejected them over and over and over again until you finally gave in to that? Now, I don't want to steal Pastor Joe's thunder in Mark 12. I know he's going to be going into this, so I'll, I'll let him uh, do the, do the uh, exposition of that parable. But basically, it's the rejection of the religious leaders that Jesus was speaking against. You know, God sent one to redeem them and redeem us and to make us fruitful in, in his kingdom. When we finally come to a point where we accept him, that's an awesome thing. But how many over the years have rejected that message over and over and over again, finally to the point where when you reject the Son, as we'll learn in that parable, then you seal your, your fate for all eternity. And then finishing up here, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have, we have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, and he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. O oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. So we see the psalm end the way it began. Praise forever for God's uh, everlasting mercy and grace. And then in verse 24, we see sort of, it says, this is the day the Lord has made. Now we know that that's speaking of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the day that he was presented before the people. And we know that the people cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna is saved now. And I, I love that because it's sort of, it's a, it's a compound word in the Hebrew. Save is yasha, which means to be delivered from or to be saved from. And then when you add na on the end of the word, it just sort of adds excitement or urgency to the word. Save now. Save now. And that's, you know, that, that was the cry of the people back then. You know, a week later they were saying crucify him. But for us, our, our cry to the Lord in our distress, our cry to the Lord, knowing that we couldn't save ourselves, save now, Jesus. Save now. And then just to praise him. As it says in verse 28 and 29, you are my God and I will praise you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. 
On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.